Welcome to Beyond the Show, the podcast home of all things Cannabis Conference. My name is Eric Sandy, and I'm the digital editor of the Cannabis Group at GIE Media. It's May. We're about three and a half months out from Cannabis Conference 2022. This is our sixth event. That's right. What started in Oakland a few years ago and then moved to Las Vegas and detoured briefly to a virtual event in 2020 and expanded to the Paris Hotel and Casino last year, that event is back. And we're super excited to plan another stellar show for you. Check out all the details at CannabisConference.com. We're adding new speakers pretty much every day at this point, and the full three-day schedule of educational sessions is available now for your perusal. That's over at CannabisConference.com. My guest this week is Lori Parfit, the principal of LKP Impact Consulting and a speaker at Cannabis Conference 2022 and past shows. Lori Parfit is a professional with more than 15 years of experience in consumer products with a specialty in cannabis. Through her company, LKP Impact Consulting, Lori works with cannabis and consumer products companies on brand strategy and design, consumer insights, and commercial go-to-market strategy. Lori's background includes experience in large-scale, integrated cross-channel marketing and experience campaigns, including a background in traditional marketing, category development, and sales strategy in an omni-channel environment. Lori served as the Vice President of Consumer Engagement and Marketing for Mission Dispensaries previously. At Cannabis Conference 2022, she'll be speaking on the panel Marketing 101, a step-by-step guide to building a cannabis brand. We talked about that in very specific terms, taking words like marketing and branding and narrowing them down into action items for your business. And she's going to be picking up this thread again out in August in Las Vegas. And in this interview, she discusses what she'll be getting into out at Cannabis Conference. So please enjoy my conversation with Lori Parfit. Well, hello, Lori, and thanks so much for joining the show this week. Very glad to get a chance to talk with you about all things marketing and brand building related in the cannabis space. Of course, we're here today to sort of tee up uh, an extension of this conversation that we'll be having later this year in Las Vegas in August at Cannabis Conference 2022. So very excited to get the ball rolling on this very interesting topic that's been, you know, a fairly dynamic topic over the past few years in cannabis and certainly outside of cannabis for that matter, too. Um, but to begin the conversation, I was hoping you might be able to sort of provide a, a bit of a landscape survey of, of where brand development in cannabis might be. And what I mean by that is it's such a young industry. Um, brands are much more developed and mature in, in, in other industries. But this is becoming a very important part of cannabis. And, uh, and there have been a couple waves of, of brand development uh, you know, eras, I suppose, in the last couple of years in cannabis. So in early 2022, what are some of the notable um, things out there in the industry, as you see, in terms of, of brand building? Absolutely. So Eric, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. You know, as we think about branding in the cannabis landscape, you know, we compare this a lot to CPG or alcohol, where brands are very prevalent. Um, That's how we know everything is by the brand and branding. In the cannabis space, it is still incredibly nascent. And I think we are at the very tip of the iceberg. So, you know, the landscape in cannabis is really interesting. And as we think about how consumers approach this category, uh, brands have really struggled. And the reason for that 
is the shopping experience in cannabis is very different than any other aspect of retail. So you go to the grocery store, you go to a clothing store, you go to any kind of store that's non-cannabis out there, and you're really making your own decisions. I mean, aside from the assortment that is determined by the buyer of that store, you are in the store, you are browsing, you are looking at things, you might be trying things on, you might be tasting things, you know, whatever that experience may be, it's a shoppable experience for you. Cannabis is completely different. The decision, the decisions you think you're making in cannabis, you are not actually making. All of the decisions that are happening at a dispensary are made for you. You don't realize it, but they are. So first and foremost, when you're in a dispensary, the inventory control manager is making a determination of what's in the dispensary. And then what you purchase at the dispensary is truly being determined by that bud tender that you're talking to. And so if that bud tender is fabulous, then you have a really great experience and maybe you have some choices. If that bud tender feels a certain way about a certain brand, that's probably a brand you're gonna buy. <laughs> and if they don't like an, a brand, they will let you know, or they won't even tell you about it. So you never even get to experience it and make that choice for yourself. So with that, brands have really struggled because getting that consumer engagement and inspiring that consumer is very difficult with a gatekeeper there. And so brand loyalty has been very low and, um, and brands really haven't been at the forefront of cannabis. And so cannabis operators generally focus on cultivation, manufacturing, and, and their dispensary operations. Branding is kind of secondary, which is unfortunate because there's a real opportunity there. And so we are very much at the precipice of brands in the industry. Do I think it's going to be a big thing? Yeah, it's probably going to be a big thing in the next uh, three to five years. We're not there yet but it's coming and it's when it comes, it will come quickly. And only certain kinds of brands are gonna survive. And those are the brands that truly know their consumers and engage them properly. Yeah, absolutely. And of course there's a lot of ways to do so. And uh, most of the, the things that we talk about here are gonna be from that business perspective. But I do wanna sneak in one consumer question mm -hmm. here, which, but I think it does relate back to businesses. It seems like there's a, a steep learning curve for a lot of, especially new cannabis consumers, just the science of the plant, the effects, all of that. Uh, it's a lot to take in, especially for, for someone who's new to cannabis. It would seem to me like um, brands might offer a helpful shorthand, meaning if, if this product works this one time, you have an easily recognizable logo and brand that you can then seek out. And yet to your point, uh, you may cross state lines or go to a different dispensary and that brand uh, might not be there for whatever reason. Um, is that consumer education piece of the puzzle an important one from, from the consumer and business side of the, the brand building equation? Oh, for sure it is. I mean, just like you said, consumers, you know, don't always understand the science behind the plant and the product. And cannabis is a really unique product category. So I hear a lot of people uh, from consumer products where I come from say, oh, well, it's just another consumer product. Mm, it's not. It, it's really different. And so there are certain things that you can pull from CPG, but for the most part, this is a product that consumers 
don't know a lot about. And as I look at a lot of the consumer research out there, you know, the number one reason consumers don't utilize a specific consumption method is because they don't know about it. And so that poses an amazing opportunity for cannabis brands and operators. And so education is really the most important thing, building community and education. So providing an environment where consumers can feel safe experiencing cannabis, safe asking questions, where they don't feel like um, they're they're being spoken down to um, is a really great opportunity for operators. And then for brands, being able to provide that information in in a digestible format that a consumer can understand and feel comfortable with and maybe take back with them is uh, a tremendous opportunity. So I always suggest to brands when they launch, when they're out there, don't just depend on that bud tender, go into those dispensaries. You know, it's been difficult in the past couple of years because of COVID, but going forward and in the past, vendor days, go in there, talk to consumers, find out what they're looking for, get to know them, talk to them about your product and not just the product, but the science behind it and make them feel comfortable with the consumption method that you're utilizing. Help them understand the difference between strains and terpenes. You know, it's very complicated, but there are simple ways to get the message out there effectively. It just takes a little bit of marketing. Yeah. And, you know, this may be an overly basic question, but I think, it, of course, it's important here before we go too far down the road. You mentioned building community, consumer education. These are obviously two pillars of brand building. I wonder if we could pause for a moment, if you could define brand from your perspective and, and how you might define it, because I know um, it's a fairly ubiquitous term, um, but I wonder if if every cannabis business or prospective business may may be able to define it themselves. Maybe, maybe we could frame it a little bit. How would you define that? How would I define a brand? That's a great question. There's all different kinds of brands out there. I mean, in theory, we are all our own brand, Um, but it's really, you know, how do you package it? How do you create uh, an experience that is recognizable to the consumer that they are going to ask for again and again? So it's more than just a logo. It's more than just a tagline. It's how do you bring it all together? and make it so that it engages and inspires that consumer and they look for it. We see national brands all the time in every other industry. So like I used to work for Ragu. Ragu was synonymous with pasta sauce. And so when you thought about pasta sauce, everybody always thought of Ragu. And it was really just the messaging and the profile of the product and how it was marketed out to the public. So it's the entire package. Branding is a package. Yeah. I'm wondering then, this is almost a chicken and the egg question or chicken Mm -hmm. or the egg question. Um, Do you see a lot of companies that start going down the road of getting their license and working in the marketplace, but leaving the brand off to the, the brand building off to the side for a while? And do you also see it where there's too much branding and maybe not enough operation? Does that make sense? It's sort of a chicken or the egg conundrum. Yeah. How do you, uh, how do you um, navigate that? I suppose. Yeah. So what I see most often in this industry is a, a major focus on operations first. 
And I get that. Getting your operations up and running is incredibly important. And branding isn't going to matter at all if you can't produce. And so first and foremost, you need to make sure that you can produce. But I always say to operators, don't wait too long before you start thinking about branding. Because what ends up happening is you get your operation up and running, you're producing, and then all of a sudden, you're just going to slap a name on it. You're going to go grab a logo, grab packaging design. And a lot of times, you're going to spend money and then end up spending it again later. Because the truth is that a designer is only as good as the content that they're provided. And so when they're building your logo, when they're building your branding, it will not emote what you want it to if you haven't provided them with the right context and the right content. And so I believe it should be done, if not simultaneously, you know, once you have that license, you know, start getting that branding together because it's going to be incredibly important. And the second your operations are up and running, you want to be able to hit that ground fast. Uh, this industry is all about first mover advantage. And so the quicker you can get a brand up and running, the, the better off you will be. And so by spending that time up front, you know, I talk to a lot of operators and, you know, in this space and in the food and beverage space, and everybody gets really excited about a logo and packaging design because they want to make something tangible. But I always say, you really need to go back to the basics. And, you know, this is something I talk about a lot is if you're from another industry, go back to how you build a brand in that industry. So I come from CPG. I was taught the P&G way. Go back and know who is your consumer. Really build out those personas. Make sure you know who they are, where they shop, what their income level is, what their gender is. Are they married? Are they single? Do they have children? Do they have young children? Do they have older children? You know, what are uh, the dynamics of that consumer? What are their demographics? Um, and then what kinds of things do they like to do in their free time? Um, you know, how do they spend their money? Those are all important things to know about building up that consumer. And if you stay consumer focused, the rest of it is incredibly easy because then you move into your brand pyramid, which at the very bottom is how do you define your, your points of parity? How are you like other brands? So for example, if you're an edible brand, there are other edible brands out there. That's not a point of difference. That's a point of parity. Then you move into your point of difference. And this is really where I find that most operators uh, really struggle is that point of difference. And it's very difficult in this industry. I'm not going to say that it's a really easy thing to come up with a point of difference. Uh, that difference shouldn't just, be, shouldn't just be marketing and packaging. So a lot of brands will tell me, oh, you know, we have really cool packaging or, you know, we partner with like a local artist. I'm like, that's not really necessarily a point of difference. You need a product point of difference. Why am I buying your edible over the next edible? Why am I buying your beverage over the next beverage? You know, you have to have something that draws me into your brand specifically. So is it fast acting? Is it a full body high versus a head high? You know, what are those key points of differences that are going to set you apart from the competition? Moving up to your brand promise, which is what you promise consumers every time they interact with your brand. 
to the consumer response that you want to receive from that and all the way up through your brand essence, which is how you want people to feel when they interact with your brand or your people. Yeah, it seems like in the, in the very early days of cannabis, which of course, in many ways, we were still there, that the novelty of legal cannabis can be great, but also maybe a challenge to this in, mm-hmm. in so far as the product kind of sells itself in, um, and the dispensary in many ways is doing the work of the, the cannabis decision-making process for the consumer. Obviously, as we're heading into 2022, more markets are coming online, more are flipping over to adult use, and that novelty is going away, which raises the importance of, of literally everything you were just saying there. Um, so I'm wondering if there are a couple questions that help along the content and the context behind brand building. Uh, you know, you mentioned the, the points of difference and how these are, are critical before we even get to logos and all, all that sort of fun, colorful stuff. Are there some maybe really helpful questions that you would urge teams to, to use to, to kind of galvanize that conversation? Mm-hmm. So point of difference is, is the, to me, the most important one. Then is who are you trying to target here? Mm-hmm. Who is that consumer? And so I describe that as the most difficult consumer to delight. That's your bullseye. So I think of it as a bullseye, like that target bullseye. And that consumer is right in the center. It doesn't mean that you don't have other consumers in the outer rings. So for example, in food and beverage, we always talk about the millennial consumer. Just because you have the millennial in the, in the target does not mean you're walking away from Gen Z, Gen X, baby boomers. But this is your most vocal consumer delight. If you get this consumer, you get everybody else. So I also talk about something like Harley-Davidson. So Harley-Davidson was a biker brand. And so, you know, they were all about the true biker gang, Sons of Anarchy, all that kind of stuff. Well, that is the most difficult consumer to delight. Is their true biker? Because they are very discerning. They know what they want. They have specific attributes that that bike needs to have. They also want it to fit with their persona. But they're not the only consumer of that product. So now you're also getting your 50-year-old CPA who wants to be like the bikers. It's the same thing with the millennials. You know, the baby boomers and the Gen Xers are taking direction from the millennial. If you get the millennial, you get all of them. If you target the baby boomer, you'll probably miss the millennial. And so really understand who that target is. So know your target research them, know everything about them, be able to rattle off exactly who they are whenever you talk to anybody and make sure you keep them top of mind. Another question I always make sure I ask is, how do you want people to feel when they utilize your brand? When they see your brand out there, what what do you want it to emote? People don't remember what you tell them, but they will remember how you make them feel. And so to me, that essence is really incredibly important because that's what's going to keep drawing that consumer in. And then also think about what are you going to be and what are you not going to be? And so those are the guardrails of the brand. So I'm going to be a flower brand, not an edible brand. I'm going to be a concentrate brand, not a flower brand. You know, really define what those guardrails are. It doesn't mean you can't go back and change it later. 
But you want to have that very much defined in your strategy because if you're going to go against the guardrails, you need to step back and think about it and really understand why you're doing it and what the purpose is and does it make sense for your brand? Because what I see a lot is, is brands come out and they're like, oh, we came out, we were going to be a flower brand. Oh, you know what? We're going to be an everything brand now. And then they lose all credibility with the consumer because they might have been a great flower brand, but they're not a great beverage brand. And right. so you really have to be very careful of ensuring that you stick within your guardrails or really understand why you're going to deviate from them. So these are key questions that I ask every time I work with a brand. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious, one of the main points of differentiation with cannabis is obviously the the fragmented state-to-state marketplace uh, here in the U.S. at least. Um, And I was just having a conversation about a company that's got a footprint in Colorado and Florida. So just maybe use that as an example. Fairly different states um, for a number of different reasons. I'm wondering does that, do those different demographics play a major role in multi-state branding? Meaning should you cater to Colorado and Florida separately or seeing the future where things may be a little bit more even across the board in the U S should you maybe disregard those, those state borders? So how you target the consumer in different areas of the country can be important, but it doesn't mean it changes your branding. It just might change your activation approach. So your brand is your brand and you want that brand in Colorado to be the same as, as it is in Florida, because you want that. If that consumer is purchasing your brand in Colorado and they go on vacation to Florida and see your brand, you want them to pick that up and feel like it's the same product. And this is a, a very difficult thing to do. So expanding across the country and creating a national brand is incredibly challenging at this point in time. You know, there's only two real ways to do it. One is to be an MSO who, you know, opens up operations, gets a license in a state and just puts their brand there. That's the easiest way. After that, you have to do licensing operations, which is like co-manufacturing. And so I always caution brands, when you start thinking about co-manufacturing, you really need to make sure your SOPs and work instructions and your branding is all very much set into a package because you want to make sure that you keep brand integrity across the states you're in, which is is hard because if you're a California brand where there's outdoor grow versus Illinois where there's indoor grow, that can be a a bit of a challenge. Uh, Not something that can't be overcome, but you have to be as close as possible to the branding. But when you're thinking about how you target a consumer, where I've seen some issues when it comes to different states is if you name your your product after like a city in Colorado, like after Boulder or after Denver. And then you try to go into a state like Michigan, which is very much all about Michigan. It probably won't play as well. So think about that when you're building your brand, you don't want it to be so specific to your geography in the name of it, that another state is put off by it. But if that's not the case, if your brand, you know, doesn't necessarily tie to something in the state you're in, um, then it's really all about how you approach that market. And whenever you go into a different market in cannabis, you need to research how that market works. What are the guidelines and guardrails? What's compliant? What's not compliant? 
And then who are those consumers out there? Are they more traditional market? Are they more Chardonnay mom? Who are they? And then how do you activate your brand differently to target them? We see this in food and beverage as well with national brands. You know, a brand can be, you know, more of a mainstream brand in certain areas of the country. And then, you know, I've seen on the West Coast that becomes a value brand because the demographics are a little different there. And so you... You take your branding, you keep it the same, but you adjust your four P's. And what are your four P's? It's what products are you trying to sell? Maybe you adjust what products you're putting into that state. How do you price them? That could change by state. How are you going to promote them? That's your activation plan. And where should they be placed? In what kinds of dispensaries should they be placed in? You know, in CPG, we talk about it on the shelf, but in this case, it might be you know, there might be certain dispensaries that it's more of a fit for. So keep your branding the same, adjust the four Ps. Yeah, great points there. Uh, I wanted to go back to the example that you mentioned of, of the flower company, their guardrails are in place, then they, they start considering beverages uh, for better mm-hmm. or worse. And I, what I wanted to ask about was um, the word rebrand, which uh, we've already seen several notable rebrands in cannabis, surely many more that maybe aren't uh, coming to mind right now, but it, you know, it's, a, it's a part of the process too. Um, that might open up a whole can of worms, I'm not sure, but I'm curious if there are reasons to rebrand or reasons not to rebrand. Because I'm sure there might be sort of, you know, I could see the, the trigger happiness of wanting to rebrand and, and go down a new road, but I could also see the caution of, you know, you don't wanna, you don't wanna be a jack of all trades uh, in a short amount of time. Um, Curious what you think of, of rebranding as in a general sense. So rebranding is incredibly difficult to execute well. Even for very established businesses in other industries that you know have a full rebranding plan in place, um, I've seen companies struggle with it because consumers get very attached to a certain kind of branding. And then to transition them to a new brand, especially in this industry, more than any other industry, is going to be incredibly challenging. People don't like the who moved my cheese. (laughs) And so (laughs) when they get attached to something, it's hard to get them off of it. It's not impossible, but it's not ideal. And it costs you a lot of money to do it. And so you basically have to track them from the old brand to the new brand and help them every step of the way in the change management process. And that is no easy feat. And in the cannabis space, I would almost say it's, it's not even a rebranding. You're almost just creating a whole new brand and you're starting again with consumer because there's not a lot that consumers can really garner from, you know, your brand because when you go into dispensaries, it's really all based on that bud tender. So that bud tender might not say, you know, brand A is now brand B, but it's still the same company. You're really probably starting from scratch. Yeah. Um, yeah, certainly a, a significant uphill climb. Um, but short of that, of course, um, you know, we've talked about a lot of brand building elements and, and things to be aware of. We're going to be continuing this conversation, of course, in just a few months out in Las Vegas. Very excited about that. Um, 
And out there, of course, we're going to have a room full of business owners, prospective entrepreneurs, uh, folks up and down the, the vertical in cannabis. So just curious, uh, when, when everyone goes home after, after three days in Vegas uh, with Cannabis Conference, what are some things that you're hoping they either take home or a few action items that they might bring back home in their, in their suitcase that, uh, that they can bring home from your session? Absolutely. So one, I'm going to take you through how to build a brand. So I'm taking you from that target consumer and I'm going to show you how I build that target consumer through the whole brand pyramid exercise, through the positioning statement, to the guardrails, to the brand architecture, to uh, vision, mission, and core values, and how we bring that all together. So leaving my session, you should have a very good understanding of how to get from the very beginning to the content you need to hand off to a designer. I will also take you through the process of how we get from ideation to implementation. So more of the commercialization process. And then what I really want to leave people with is cannabis is truly the most personal industry I've been in. And so we're dealing with people's health and wellness all the time. And so in many other industries we hear, you know, it's not personal, it's just business, but not this industry. It's all personal. And so I always say, don't lead from the head, lead from the heart. If you lead from the heart, you will truly inspire and engage that consumer. I started my career working for Nordstrom and I was just a salesperson. I was 16 years old. And every day I walked through their security door and I don't remember much of what was in that security room, but there was a sign that had the seven to 10 things that you needed to know as a Nordstrom employee. And there's only one that has truly stuck with me. And that is, if you treat every customer like they're your best friend, you'll always do the right thing. And so I want everybody who's in my session to know that you have to lead from the heart. You have to treat every consumer like they're your mother, your father, your grandparent, your sister, your brother, your spouse, your nephew, your niece, your best friend. Because if you approach it from that perspective, you will create an incredibly powerful brand that will resonate. The best brands I see out there have that kind of bent to them. They have that kind of story. And those stories are what people relate to because the best brands build those communities around that. And when consumers believe what you believe, it's magic. I love it. Definitely excited to, uh, to check out that session and to, to come along for the ride because that's, that's the kind of inspiration we're always looking for. It's, it's all over this industry. As, as you said, it's got that nice personal touch and it's exciting to watch every day. Um, so Lori, thanks so much for the time this week and looking forward to seeing you out in Vegas. I am as well. Thank you so much for your time, Eric. I, I really appreciate you having me on today and I'm excited to see everybody in Vegas for my session, Marketing 101. Thanks so much. And that's a wrap on another episode of Beyond the Show. Hope you enjoyed that conversation about marketing and branding with Lori Parfit. Like she said there at the end of the interview, she's going to be picking up this conversation and turning it into a very action-oriented conversation out in Las Vegas at Cannabis Conference 2022. 
That's happening August 23rd to the 25th, of course. You can learn more at CannabisConference.com. Learn more about Lori's session out there, as well as all the fantastic speakers who will be joining her and the CBT team at Cannabis Conference this year. We are adding new speakers pretty much every day, so make sure you're visiting CannabisConference.com, checking out the Speakers tab. Make sure you're signing up for that newsletter, too. That's where we're announcing all this stuff as things go on. You know, we're, we're moving very quickly right now. It's, it's May. We're a couple months out from the show, and a lot is happening, and we're, we're bringing everything together. I'm very excited to host you and, and really host the industry out in Las Vegas in August. So stay tuned to CannabisConference.com, of course, and also stay tuned right here because we're going to keep going beyond the show and having all those fantastic speakers join this podcast between now and then and obviously, of course, beyond the show. 